Exceeding Expectations, episode 31. Welcome to this week's episode. We feature Brian Williams, an international speaker. He's worked all around the world and as, um, as an author as well and has written a few books such as Engaging Service, Work Like You Own It, How to Serve a VIP and Lift Me Higher. Brian gives them some great information in this episode. And for those of you who have maybe just come to this podcast for the first time, Exceeding Expectations aims to give you some ideas of ways that you can give your customers a better experience in working with you. And every episode, we hope you get at least a couple of ideas of things that you can implement in your business. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, you can find a Facebook group on on Facebook, funny enough, at just uh, search for Exceeding Expectations. You can go to the website, which is exceedingexpectations.me. It would be great if you would subscribe to the podcast. And this show can really only grow and survive with your help. So please um, tell, please share it with your friends, anyone you think that may be interested. So right now we're going to go to this week's episode. And I should point out we had some major recording issues with this episode. Um, luckily, the voice of Brian's audio is fine, so you can hear Brian clear as a bell. I sound like I'm about a million miles away, so yeah, we had a, a few recording issues, but hope, hopefully it doesn't impact on your um, enjoyment of the episode. So we're here for another edition of Exceeding Expectations, and my guest is Brian Williams. How are you, Brian? I'm doing fantastic, Tony. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. And you're over in Washington. How is the weather there today? It is actually nice and sunny. I want to say that high is going to be um, probably in the 60 degree uh, Fahrenheit range. So I'm, so I'm very happy about that because I'm from the Caribbean, so I like warmer weather. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned before when we were talking that you've been over to, to England a few times. I have. It's actually one of my favorite cities in the world. When, when somebody asked me what's my favorite place to go, uh, one of them is Bali in Indonesia. So much so that we named our son <laughs> Bali, <laughs> after Bali. But we also really, really like in, um, London. London, because of the diversity, the, the, just the ethnicity, the culture. Um, there's so much to do. Oxford Street is one of my favorite places to go on. But yes. And so what is, I know that you're, you're a speaker and you, do, so you put on conferences and you're an author. What is it that got you into doing all that? And how long have you been doing this? Well, um, for my own company, I've been doing this for close to 13 years, <clears throat> overall over 20 years. But what got me into this was really, I got a, well, both my parents are, they're in hospitality. One, my father was into um, ground transportation and tour operator and so forth. And my mom, she worked for the airlines at one point, then hotels. My start came when I was 15 years old. And on St. Thomas, where I'm from, by the way, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, very small island, but a luxury um, hotelier owner, he wanted to open a brand new property <coughs> called the Grand Palazzo Hotel. And it was a really, really fine hotel. And it was posh. I mean, to the point where he got, he got butlers from all over the world to come down to St. Thomas to train us on world-class service excellence. He even got a few butlers from Buckingham Palace to come down to help train us on white glove service. And they can see the salads from scratch. So when I was 15 years old, I got my first job. I was there working as a dishwasher. And on my first day of work, the maitre d' 
didn't say hello, welcome, good morning, welcome to the team. His first words out of his mouth were, I want you to work in this restaurant like you own it. And hmm. I thought, I was like, what? In my head, I was saying, what? And then he said, six months from now, if this restaurant is not better as a result of you being hired, you failed. And that really hit me because I thought I was going to come to work, get a job, get paid and go home. I couldn't do it every two weeks. But what this maitre d', who was from Paris, by the way, what he was challenging me was that you are not to come and be a warm body and blend in. The team is either going to be better or worse because of you and your interactions and your contributions every day. It's either going to be better or worse because of you. So mm. that let me know I was the CEO of my job. Mm. I was the CEO. If I had six tables in the restaurant, those were my, that was my restaurant in the restaurant. And that helped me a lot. And I moved on. I had 17 total jobs in the hotel business, from dishwasher to busboy to wine to moyer to housekeeping to front desk, bellman, doorman, <coughs> employee cafeteria, you name it. And then eventually I was director of training and development. And this is all for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. And then uh, I was the global corporate director of training and quality for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company before I started my business almost 13 years ago. Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing progress. You mentioned before that and when you've been in London, you've been working at places such as the Ritz and the Landmark and, and some other amazing places. Yes, yes. I've been very fortunate um, in London, for example, where uh, some of the hotel owners or executives would call me over to come and assist them with helping them with their service culture or to reinforce or to re-ingrain with their team and their workforce what service excellence is and how to take their caliber of service from great to world-class or from world-class to even more world-class. And that's why I specialize in. My focus is how, in how to take things that are really working well and then elevate them so they become memorable experiences, not only for the guests, but for those who are working in the environment. And, and so what do you find? How is it that you're able to help hotels? What is it that they generally seem to miss? Sure, sure. Well, first, um, I think it's important to call out that although my background is in hospitality and luxury hospitality specifically, um, mm -hmm. the vast majority of my clients are not even in the hotel business. Over half are in healthcare, for example, hospitals and so forth. And I have mm -hmm. schools and churches and uh, government offices. So I have a plethora of industries that I'm fortunate to work with not, that's outside the hotel business. But for hotels specifically or restaurants or spas or country clubs, whenever they call me, what they're really looking for is how to, is how to truly ingrain and hardwire a culture of service excellence on their team. That's really the big reason why. Because that's my specialty. That's why they really call me. How to help them? In, how to help them hardwire it so that um, the habits and the mindset of service excellence are not just uh, happens every now and then or sporadically. That they happen consistently. Mm. And your book. I mean, I've been reading your book called "Work Like You Own It," and the, the subtitle "20 Ways to Go from Meeting to Exceeding Your Customers' Expectations." So in your experience, what is it that, that helps someone to change from just simply doing the bare minimum to, to really over-delivering? Well, I think one of the biggest pieces, Tony, is that if I am on your team, let's assume that, Tony, that you said that you are my manager, right? And, I am, and, I'm, a, and I'm a frontline employee. 
And if the intent is for me to work like I own it, for me to exceed expectations, the key ingredient, one of the key ingredients is I need to feel like you care about me. In other words, I need you to treat me the way you want me to treat the customer. Yeah. I mean, literally in that order. I need you to treat me the way you want me to treat the customer. And Mm -hmm. that part tends to be pushed under the rug or tacitly agreed upon or is maybe dismissed as common sense by a lot of leaders who hear that message. Oh yeah, we know that already. Oh yeah, yeah, we know that already. Happy staff, happy customer. We know that already. We've read that book already. We, we, we know. But besides the voracious and the vigorous head nodding that would come whenever I say that, it, it doesn't happen very often. Hmm. You see? So if you have an organizational culture, let's say that you are a team leader and you want your team to exceed expectations. You want your team to open doors for guests and you want your team to answer the phone within three rings and with a smile and you want your team to escort rather than point directions to another part of the property. You have to do those exact same things for your team. Hmm. The exact same things. Not a variation of them. The exact Hmm. same things. And that part is missing. And if that happens, right, then you will inspire your team to do that more consistently. But also, it will create a situation where you are now attracting other people to come onto your team who already think that way. Hmm. Because ultimately, you can't really teach someone. You can't make someone work like they own it. That's the kind of come with that already. That kind Hmm. of has to be a seed already in them. And And that's how I view it. I think when you think about a great service culture, I think you, you try to bring people who have that seed of excellence already in them and your garden, your team is a garden and it has a fertile soil that allows that seed to grow and be fruitful. Hmm. But you don't make the seed. You just, you just put the seed in your garden, but you have hmm. to water it every day. The watering is the encouragement. The watering is the pruning, right? But you also have to weed the garden. Fruit don't like to grow in gardens where there's weeds. And the weeds are not just the the bad employees per se. The weeds are the undesirable behaviors. The weeds is you allowing people to come late. The weeds is you allowing people to not be attentive to the guest. The weeds is doing things halfway. The weeds are people checking their cell phone right in the the customer's face. The weeds is the customer having to interrupt the staff member to ask a question. People who work like they own it, people who take pride and passion in exceeding expectations cannot bear, they cannot stand working in an environment where those things are tolerated. Mm. You see? And so how is, when you've helped companies understand that, that type of mentality, what kind of results has, has, it, um, has it come to? What kind of results have you got? Oh, well, by and large, fortunately, about 95% of my businesses repeat business and referrals. So just from that alone, that tells me that I'm very grateful that the message is sinking in. But, you know, but generally speaking, people agree with it. I, I, I will say, though, that there are, there are times when you may have senior leaders or mid-managers who are, and even frontline staff, who are cynical about the message and saying, that sounds too good to be true. Because they may have never been in an environment, in a work environment where they've seen that type of service excellence culture, where the team is happy, the customers are happy, like they've never lived, never literally worked in a place like that. See, they don't think it exists. 
Mm. See? So a lot of my work sometimes is breaking through the cynicism and the skepticism to show, no, this really can happen. Mm. And a lot, a lot of that is me modeling it when I'm working with them. But at the mm. end of the day, if a company hires me, I'm a consultant, right? I'm a speaker. I'm a trainer. I'm an author. Their team doesn't report to me. So they don't have to, they don't have to do anything I say. Mm. So I tell companies all the time, if you're going to hire someone like myself, for example, uh, make sure that I am not the most excited person about your service culture. You have to be. Yeah. I can't be more excited about your service standards and your core values and your mission than you. And you're the CEO. And so earlier on, before we started recording, you mentioned a, a book that um, had an impact on you. Was it The Greatest Salesman in the World, I think you said? Yes, I want to say it came out in the 1950s or so, or 40s, but the book has been sold, I mean, millions and millions of times. And at one point, I remember reading that it was the second most widely purchased book after the Bible, and that was years ago. But um, I read the book about five times already, and I've given out hundreds of copies to friends and colleagues and so on, and it's changed my life. But it was written by a gentleman by the name of Og, O-G was his first name, Og Mandino. And you can find it on Amazon or your bookstore. It's a very popular book. It's a very small book. It's, it's really a fable. But the fable has a very powerful story in it. And without giving away the story, the, the book is essentially centered around some scrolls, some scrolls that were passed down from generation to generation on how to, um, on how to, on how to uh, amass massive amounts of knowledge and wealth. But it's really not about financial wealth. It's about just knowledge and so forth and wisdom. So you can be a blessing to other people. Mm-hmm. And one of the scrolls that I love is, um, it's called the love scroll. I'm sorry, not the one. It's called the persistent scroll. And the persistent scroll is, I will persist until I succeed. And there's another scroll called the love scroll. It says, I will greet each day with love in my heart. And mm-hmm. when I think, and Tony, I know your podcast is called Exceeding Expectations. For me, when I think about service excellence and when I think about hospitality and when I think about exceeding expectations, for me, it goes far deeper than one person saying, may I help you? Or how can I help you? Or what can I do for you? It goes deeper than that. To me, this whole thing is about one person seeing divinity in another person, meaning I don't care who you are, what you look like, what your race is, what your culture is, what your socioeconomic status, what your job title is, what part of town you're from, what country you're from, but you're a human being. You're a person. Therefore, I will assume that you're royalty. And because I assume you're royalty, I will treat you as such. That to me is what I'm, that's really what I'm talking about. Hmm. And so how old were you when you read that book? I was in my 30s. So I'm 42 years old now. So I was probably, I want to say, 33 or 34 years old. And so how much of an impact did the book have? A tremendous impact. It literally, I felt like my eyes were closed before and it were opened after. <laughs> Right. And, and just like you, Tony, just like you, because uh, I'm an avid reader, so I read all the time, right? I'm always mm. reading books. Mm. Um, but, um, my favorite book is, is, um, is the Bible, but, but, you know, but, I, but I read all the time. But mm. that book 
you know, it literally, I felt like it opened an additional doorway in my mind that was not as open before. Mm. You see? So I, I encourage you to read that book, but there's so many other phenomenal books. But the idea is about if you take, if, if you really, if you take care of yourself, it becomes much easier to take care of other people. The more equipped I am, the more, right, the more knowledgeable I am, the more fortunate and grateful I feel, then I'm in a better position to exalt other people who I'm fortunate to exalt, who I'm, who I'm fortunate to serve, who I'm fortunate to honor. And when you, when you read that, was that before you'd written any of your books or did, did that come afterwards? Oh, no, no, that came after, that came after. When was, when was your first book? Oh my goodness, my first book, I want to say, came out 2005, 2006. I'm getting the dates because I have four books. The, the work, like you wanted, book you mentioned, that was my second book. Mm-hmm. And then, so I have uh, Engaging Service, uh, 22 Ways to Become a Service Superstar, Work Like You Own It, that's the one that you mentioned. The third book is called How to Serve a VIP, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fourth book, which came out last year, 2018, is called Lift Me Higher. And, and what got you into writing the, the, the first book? How, how did that come about? It came about really because, well, first of all, I write a lot anyway, because I have a newsletter, I have subscribers all over the world who follow my e-newsletter and so on. And, you know, I was writing all these articles, writing all these articles, and I love to share, right? The purpose statement of my business, of my brand is, we exist to serve others so they may better serve the world. So I do that through teaching and sharing and consulting, and, but also writing. Yeah. So as I'm writing, I'm thinking, well, gosh, people would love to get all this content in one place. So I started to look at my articles and I started to compile them and I started to look at themes and I started to build on the articles and they eventually turned into chapters. And that's how the first book came. What was the, um, the reaction to the book? It transcended what I thought. I mean, I thought only people who knew me would get it. <laughs> like clients and friends and family but i started getting emails from you know india and russia and australia places i've never been to before and telling me how they're using the book and how they use the book every day and because each for all my books each chapter ends with an activity for you to mm-hmm. do to apply the points from the book just like the book you mm-hmm. have work like you own it there's like 20 different 20 different activities at yeah. the conclusion of each chapter. And people said how they use those in their daily huddles, in their monthly meetings. And that was just really a validation for me. But it also helped me follow my needs and be very grateful that mm-hmm. I have um, information and inspiration that benefits people. And they find, they can see the practicality and the applicability in it. And they're seeing differences. They're seeing a change in how they run their team. Mm-hmm. And it is quite different in the, you know, as you said about, you know, you've got the practical exercises at the, at the end of each book. What, what was it gave you the idea to do that? Oh, well, you know what, Tony, I'm really, really big on things making sense. Mm. <laughs> I mean, theory does not, theory is not if sufficient for me. In fact, so my doctorate, I have a doctorate degree and it's not a PhD. It's a DM. DM is a doctor of management degree. And I chose a, a DM versus the PhD because the DMs are uh, that's, a, that's focused more so on applying and taking the theory 
and applying it in a real world terms. So creating mm -hmm. the relevant, the real world applicability to the theory. Mm -hmm. So I really need to see how something will apply. I don't want to have to fish through and try to figure out what's the lesson here. Mm. If I'm listening to a speaker, if I'm reading an article, I'm reading a book, it's very frustrating for me to try to figure out what the learning point is. Mm. Or more importantly, what am I supposed to do with the information? So mm. I made it a point to myself that if I'm going to be doing a keynote, if I'm writing an article, even if I'm doing a LinkedIn post, <laughs> they oftentimes end with, hey, this is the takeaway. Mm. You know? And so I apply that same concept to my books. When I do conferences, you know, like, for example, we have another one coming up at the end of this month, April 25th and 26th in Tucson, Arizona, here in the States. It's called the Strong Leader Institute. You leave that event with an action plan. You create an mm. action plan before you leave. And these are the things you are going to do. And then we follow up with you to see mm. how you're going with the action plan. And then there's a webinar we do 30 days after, a reunion webinar to see how everyone's doing with the action plan. Hmm. So I think a real responsibility for anyone who is saying that they're going to be helping other people is to be committed to following through, helping the walking alongside and following through and saying, I'm here for you. What can I do to help you to help raise the probability that you'll be successful in this endeavor? Hmm. If, if someone's listening to this and who's got their own business and they they haven't really, they're, they're struggling to, to, to survive, or they're struggling to, to really compete with their competitors, maybe. What kind of what suggestions would you give them, maybe, to how they could try to focus on giving their customers a much better experience in order to distinct, you know, to differentiate themselves from their competitors? For me, I have a different mindset as it pertains to competition. Mm -hmm. And I would say the first thing you ought to do is is look to yourself and say there really is not competition, and it, mm -hmm. it, in this way, in this way. There's no other Tony Winyard, right? Mm -hmm. You're the. I mean, so there may be someone else who has your name, but it's not you. Yeah. No one ever before in the history of the world was you. you. There's no other you right now, and there never will be another you. So you're the only you who will ever exist. There's certain gifts and talents and experiences that you have that no one else in the history of the planet will ever have. That makes you extremely rare and valuable. And anything that's rare and valuable is called a masterpiece. So you, Tony, are a masterpiece because there's no one else like you. Mm -hmm. So I think to be distinguishing, to stand out, right, in a competition, right, the first mm -hmm. thing you must do is recognize what is truly authentic about me. What is mm -hmm. truly original and unique about me? And that, if you've never asked yourself that question, that may take you days, weeks, or months to, to find out. Hmm. A lot of times people look at other people, other businesses, and say, well, all right, I'm talking about customer service, but so are 10,000 other people. No. Hmm. If I had that mindset, then I wouldn't have started this business. Hmm. Right? But my thing is, I know for a fact that there's no one else on earth views customer service the way I do it. Mm -hmm. I have a different perspective on it. I have a unique perspective that only I can articulate the way I articulate. And I know that because no one else mm -hmm. is me. Mm -hmm. And that's my competitive advantage. I think that's number one in terms of distinguishing yourself in the marketplace is no, recognizing what is your thing? What is your core, core, core competency in this mm -hmm. field? That's number one. But well, number two is 
seeking ways to continuously improve your craft. Mm. If I hire you today to do something for me, and then I hire you t- a year from now, it should not be the same. Mm. Something should have been better. I think that's number two, continuous improvement. And I think, I think another way to really distinguish yourself from the competition is to understand and recognize that the number one rule is keep the customer, meaning do everything in your power to make sure that customer feels appreciated and exalted and that they are not second-guessing their decision to give you their money <laughs> mm. or give you their time. They should never mm. have to like wonder, like, hmm, is this a good choice? In fact, even if you charge more than your competitors, they should feel good about that because they're saying, you know what, they charge more, Tony charges more, but I know it's, it's a premium price, but it's worth it. Mm. So I find a lot of times businesses can fall into the trap of taking their current customers for granted in the pursuit of new customers. Mm. Meaning they, 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 if they're, if, let's say that they have a call center, let's say they have a business and they, and they staff like people to answer phones, right? And it's a phone mm. tree. And it said, press one if you, if you have a question about your existing product that you bought from us. And press two if you're a new customer. Nine times out of ten, the line two for the new customers is staffed more hmm. because they want they, they don't want the new customer to have to wait. But the existing hmm. customer may be one person who's who's to, to staff that line is overworked and they work you know they they're tired and that existing customer doesn't get the same caliber of service. Hmm. That's a major problem. Yeah. If you want your new customers to become your existing, to become loyal customers, you have to treat your new customers like they're loyal customers. And the way to to create loyal customers is by treating each loyal customer, each customer as though they're the only one. Hmm. Each customer needs to feel like they're the only customer. Even if they know there's other customers, even if they can see other customers, each Hmm. person wants to feel seen and valued and appreciated. And that happens at every touch point. That happens mm. at every visit. I want you as my customer to come back and see me over and over and over and over and over again. I want you to tell your friends and your family that making a choice to come patronize my business was the best decision you ever made. I don't want you to ever second guess that decision. And you will become my greatest advocate and ambassador in attracting more customers. Mm. So number one, to take care of your current customers. Nothing should ever trump that. Are you working on a, another book at the moment, Brian? You know what? Not explicitly, <laughs> but because I'm, always, because I'm always writing, I'm sure one is being formed. <laughs> right, okay. I'm sure one is being formed, but I can't tell you right now. But like I said, one just came out last year. Um, it's, it's, it's my first leadership book. The other three, the first three books are service excellence books. This last one is, is a leadership book. It's more like a leadership devotional, actually. But mm. um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's more. There's more coming. Mm. Right. Okay. And if people want to find out more about you and what you do, where, where would be the best places to go to? Of course. So you go to bwenterprise.net. So that's BW, as in Brian Williams, bwenterprise.net. Dot net, and that can give them information on my background, what I offer, books, my online store. We have four books. We also have about eight different posters. So essentially, there were there were poems that I turned into eighteen by twenty four posters, 
and they've learned about my conferences and um, a speaker school we have. We just started an online six-week speaker school, and that's to help people, um, senior leaders and busy professionals, figure out ways to how to monetize their expertise through starting a speaking business. Mm-hmm. So we teach them about how to brand themselves, market themselves, how to set their fees, and so on. So that's exciting. And, and that speaker school you mentioned, is that um, sort of mostly people in, in the States or is that kind of internationally? It's, anyone can do it because it's an online program. Right, so right. we actually, we, this tomorrow evening is Wednesday. Every Wednesday evening we meet. But um, that's a live class we do uh, once a week for one hour. But all the sessions are recorded and anyone has access to those if they register for the class. And then we have a private LinkedIn forum. And then we also have um, check-in calls where you can schedule one-on-one time with me to kind of go through your unique situation, no matter where in the world you are. Fantastic. Well, Brian, it's been a, a real pleasure speaking to you. We've we had some major technical difficulties in trying to get this episode done, but we've eventually done it. And it was, a, it was some great advice you gave. So thank you for your, for your time. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I want to thank you, Tony, for reaching out and thank you for your persistence and making this happen. And I feel like you're adding a tremendous value, not only to your listeners, but to the world. Because I think whenever you're offering information that can energize people and equip them, the things that they can apply not only in their professional life, but their personal life, it's a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Brian. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Next week, episode 32 is with Danielle Roberts. She formed a company called Boomer Benefits. You may be familiar with the phrase baby boomers. And in the United States, there's around 10,000 10, people per day turning 65 and are eligible for Medi- uh, Medicare. And Medicare is apparently quite a complicated procedure. And Danielle, Danielle's company helps people navigate this whole procedure and make it far easier. And she tells us many of the ways that she differs from her competition in in the way that she goes about this. So that's next week's episode of Exceeding Expectations. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please do leave us a review, maybe subscribe. And once again, the show really can only grow and survive with your help. So it would be great if you can tell others, share the episode with others, and hopefully other people will listen and we can grow and we can get better and better guests and, and give you more information. Hope you have a fantastic week. See you next week.